You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Lord, send revival. Lord, send it now. A move of your spirit, heaven break out. Come now in power, cover this land like you've done it before. Would you do it again? Do you want to see that? We're talking about revival today, and I've noticed an uptick that revival is a bit of a buzzword in the last few years. Have you noticed that? There's more worship songs being written about the topic of revival. I listen to a number of church leadership podcasts, and church leaders are talking about this. It's in conversations. The reality is, we love singing about revival, but we don't always love sowing seeds for revival to take place. We sing for revival, we call on God for revival, but we don't always fast. We like talking about revival as a conversational topic. Man, what does the church need? To, you know, what does the church need? Wouldn't it be great if we saw a great awakening again in our nation? But we are we on our knees in tears, interceding? Right? Calling on God to bring revival. The reality is, if we want to see the fruit of revival, we have to sow seeds of revival in our time. And it really begins with personal renewal. If we want to see revival on a scale across our nation, across the world, even in our city or our church, it begins with these Almost small, secret, quiet practices that all of us can do. Mark Sayers says this in his book, Reappearing Church. Personal renewals, so if you want to experience this in your soul, personal renewals begin in the hidden places, often driven by solitary prayer, self-examination, communion with God, fasting and the habits of secrecy, the uprooting of sinful patterns and confessions with trusted leaders and pastors eventually, can everyone say that word eventually? This is not some microwave thing, okay? Eventually, this inner change of the heart will overflow out into our external lives, creating a potential for renewal in the social world around us. So you can't manufacture a move of the Holy Spirit. We can't just create a revival. I don't know what comes to mind for you when you think about what a revival is. Do you know there were revival meetings in this very church building generations ago? There's signs. We have pictures where there's signs plastered outside of the bricks of this building saying revival meeting, right? So I don't know what you think of when you think of revival, but often it's gathering a lot of people together, singing songs, people giving their lives to Christ. But the reality is you can't manufacture a move of the Holy Spirit. But here's what you can do. You can follow Jesus with everything. You can fully surrender everything to God and the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. And if we as a church, if every single one of us would submit to the work that God wants to do in your life in the year 2023, this is how we sow seeds of renewal, where there's pockets of people becoming more like Christ, living out the righteousness that Jesus calls us to, repenting of secret sin. And then it overflows and we begin to see fruit 
on a widespread scale, like a wildfire. It catches in a city, in a state, and in a nation. See, to pray for revival is to admit that we are in decline. And the reality is we are. I mean, we, we've looked at the, the statistics, the studies. There's, a, there's a, a huge exodus of younger generations from the church. We failed to disciple the new generations. Uh, the American church is, is, is kind of, you know, church attendance is down. All the metrics are down, right? It's, it's a lot of bad news. I don't want to start the, the new year with a bunch of bad news. We've looked at those studies. We've looked at those statistics before. And, and yet... We need God to move. We need God to change something. I mean, think about some of the great revivals of the past in, in different countries around the world. Germany was where the Protestant Reformation began. And it's one of the most post-Christian secular countries in the world today, right? And so we need God to move again. The things that God has done in the past, we need him to do again. We're going to be looking at uh, our main teaching text in 2 Chronicles. Did you think you were going to start the year in 2 Chronicles? 2 Chronicles. Open your Bibles. 2 Chronicles chapter 34 will be there in just a moment. And in this new teaching series, the teaching series is called Exiles, we're going to be looking at the time period of the Babylonian exile. This is a time period in the history of Israel. It's one of the darkest moments in the entire history of Israel. And Israel is really faced with this dilemma, this question of how do we follow God when the culture around us is anti-God? And that's really the question that we find ourselves in the environment that we live in today. In a world that is increasingly post-Christian, increasingly secular, we must ask ourselves, how do we still thrive in exile? And uh, we're going to be picking up in 2 Chronicles. This is before the Babylonian exile. This is during uh, the final stages of the kingdom of Judah. And Judah uh, had been in decline for quite some time. Maybe you remember the golden age of the kingdom of Israel, you had Saul, King David, and then King Solomon, and Solomon built this beautiful temple, and God's spirit filled the temple, and there's gold and economic wealth, and they gained land, they gained territory, and everything was going well. And then two of these main factors came in. First of all, pride and arrogance led to foolish decisions in the hearts of the kings. It led to a divided kingdom. So you had the kingdom of Israel in the north, the kingdom of Judah in the south, and then also idolatry. Pretty soon those kings led people away from worshiping the one true God and they would build these shrines like a golden cow or they would build these altars to pagan gods, Canaanite gods, Baal and Asherah and others. And God sent prophets to both kingdoms to warn them about coming judgment. If you continue to worship idols, if you continue in this sin, I will have no choice but to raise up another nation to take you over and to send you into exile. And the people did not heed the warnings of the prophets and the, the northern kingdom at this point, by 2 Chronicles 34, the northern kingdom has already been attacked and taken over by the Assyrian Empire. They've been sent into exile. And where we're gonna look at is one of the final kings of Judah before the Babylonian 
exile. I want to read to you, before we get to the king we're looking at today, in 2 Chronicles 33, there's uh, one of the worst kings of Judah is a man named King Ammon. And we read about King Ammon in 2 Chronicles 33, verse 24, after he had incurred guilt upon guilt among the people. It says this, and his servants conspired against him and put him to death in his house. So our story begins with a political assassination. But the people of the land struck down all those who had conspired against King Ammon, and the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his place. So Ammon had a two-year reign as king. And in his two years, he was so horrible leading the people, increasing sin in the nation, that his closest servants had no choice but to assassinate him. That's how bad of a king King Ammon was. But this is going to show you how bad the moral compass of the nation was, is even though King Ammon was evil, the people loved him. Beware popular leaders. Christians, I'm talking to you. Beware of leaders whose lives are incredibly ungodly, but somehow gain popularity in the culture and sometimes even in the church. And so what happens is King Ammon, the people who assassinated him, the, the general public, the, the kingdom of Judah, assassinate, they wipe out those who assassinated him, and they appoint his son, King Josiah, to be the new king of Judah at the ripe old age of eight years old. That's just an irresponsible decision, okay? I don't know if you've ever met an eight-year-old before. Not the great, greatest decision makers in the world. And uh, he's the son of this incredibly corrupt king who only had a two-year reign, right? And they, so the story begins very messy, okay? This is a more turbulent time in the kingdom of Judah than we're facing in, in our nation right now, okay? Incredibly difficult time for the nation. If you were a citizen in the kingdom of Judah, you would be incredibly concerned hearing that this eight-year-old boy, the son of the super corrupt king, is now the new king of, of Judah, okay? Likely, they appointed him king thinking that he would be like a puppet. They could influence and manipulate him into doing whatever the people wanted him to do. And yet, in a completely unexpected turn of events, King Josiah somehow manages to be one of the best kings in the history of the kingdom of Judah. It's amazing. And we're gonna look at seven reforms that King Josiah does, seven seeds of revival or components of revival. Now, this isn't gonna be uh, a formula, check these seven boxes and boom, microwave it, now you've got a revival, okay? This isn't gonna be do these, se it's not seven steps to revival, these are seeds sown, okay? So if you're taking notes, you can write down a list of seven. We're gonna be looking at seven seeds of revival, and we're gonna look at how Josiah leads the kingdom into a season, not of decline, but a season of revival. Second Chronicles 34, we'll jump in in verse three. From the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places. Those are pagan places of worship. And the ashram and the carved and the metal images. Somehow, 
Josiah begins to seek God at the age of 16 years old, in the eighth year of his reign. We're not really sure exactly how this takes place. Maybe there was still one royal advisor who is still faithful to Yahweh. We don't, we're not sure. And maybe he mentored and discipled him. Do you know there's power even in one person mentoring and discipling someone else to follow Jesus? Do you realize that? Maybe God drew King Josiah's heart as he's asking those big life questions that all teenagers ask and are wrestling with. What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose? But God gets a hold of a 16-year-old boy The future of the church is in the hands of the teenagers of today. How we disciple the next generation is one of the most vital things that we can do as a church. If you have children at home, how you disciple your own children is one of the most vital things that you can do. It's one of the most lasting legacies that you can do of your entire life. And God gets a hold of King Josiah, and here's the first seed of revival. You ready for this? Number one, he seeks God. Seek God. He begins to, at the age of 16, seek after the God of his father, not his actual father, King Ammon, but this is a way of talking about his, you know, in the long line of descendants, his father, King David, who was a man after God's own heart. And at the age of 16, he begins to seek after God. And this is really where it all begins. Your walk with God begins when people have a heart that is open to seek after God. You remember that line that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek You shall find, knock, and the door will be open to you. Now, this isn't to say that God is playing hide and seek. God has not made himself difficult to find. It's not like he's leaving us clues and we have to become a Sherlock Holmes and figure it all out. What it is to say, though, is that God is looking for people who are looking for him. He's looking for people who don't have hearts of stone. He's looking for people who have open hearts, who are at least willing to take that first step. You remember the story of the prodigal son from Luke 15? The father doesn't actually go to the foreign land to get his son who left him. But as soon as that son makes that first step home, what does the father do? He runs towards him. He doesn't make him walk all the way to the front doorstep, groveling the whole way. He runs to him. Realize this. Maybe there's some of you in this room who Christmas Eve was one of the first times you had been in a church in many, many years. And maybe one of your New Year's resolutions was go to church more or explore your faith or ask those questions. I I want you to hear this. If you are here, I applaud you. I want to affirm your decision to to come to a church, even if you're listening on a podcast or watching on a video in the safety of your own home. But the reality is this is where it begins. Seeking God. Seeking God. Knocking on that door. Wrestle with those questions. Wrestle with those doubts. But I would encourage you, don't seek God alone. Don't seek God just using your Google search bar because you're going to find some weird stuff that people say, about God on the internet, right? The internet is not always true. (laughs) It's not always helpful. Seek God around godly people in community. We wanna walk alongside you as you walk with God and explore these questions of faith. James, the brother of Jesus in James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God's not gonna force himself on you. But if you take that first step, that seeking, that if you have an open heart and you begin to draw near to God, one of the most powerful prayers you can pray is, God, would you reveal yourself to me? Show yourself to me. 
Make yourself known to me. Draw near to God, and he will do what? He will draw near to you. This is a promise of scripture from the brother of Jesus Christ. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I just ask you this one question. What is your next step in seeking God this year? Joining a life group? Coming to church regularly? All of you in the room, you have a perfect attendance record for church this year. <laughs> Way to go. But maybe, I mean, maybe that, that would be one of your actuals, like, I'm gonna be consistent. I'm gonna make it a priority, right? Brunch sounds really good on Sundays, but you know what I need? I need to worship on Sundays. I need to be around believers. I need to pray. I need to hear the word. I need to be washed in the word. What is your next step to drawing near to God in 2023? If you've made New Year's resolutions for all other areas of your life, but you haven't made any kind of goals or commitments this next year, write, jot some things down. It's not too late, right? Decide what your next step is in seeking God. And then the second thing that Josiah does, this is actually in the 12th year, this is actually the beginning of his official reforms when he's 20. So after four years of seeking God, he begins to, number two, sow this seed, he purges the idols. Purge idols. Purge the idols in your life. Now, in Judah, there were actual physical idols. There were Asherim poles. There was places uh, of worship to the goddess Asherah. There were, there were altars. There were statues. There were shrines. And Josiah literally goes, not just in Jerusalem, but he goes from city to city. And I don't know if he had a sledgehammer, but he goes and he tears that stuff down. He purges the idols from the land. Now for us, what we have to realize about idols is an idol is anything in your life that rivals or replaces your worship of God. Did you catch that? An idol is anything in your life that rivals or replaces your worship of the one true God. So you might be feeling pretty good. Well, I don't have any kind of you know, pagan deities plastered in my home. I don't have any shrines, but the reality is very easily money can be an idol. Success can be an idol. Social media, screen time can be an idol. Entertainment can be an idol. There, there, the, the list is endless of things in your life. I mean, just ask yourself this question. Where do you spend most of your time, money, and energy? It's probably the thing that you care about the most in this world. When you wake up in the morning, what do you think about? What occupies your mind? What fills your heart? What excites you the most? Those are the kinds of questions we must ask and maybe ask in community or ask in prayer to the Holy Spirit. Show me if there are any idols in my life. Purge those idols. Tear the idols down. Put limits or boundaries in place so that your heart can be devoted to the one true God. 2 Chronicles 34, verse 8. Here's the next, uh, the, the next chapter in King Josiah's reforms. Now, in the 18th year of his reign, when he had cleansed the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Maasiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. And so what had happened here is the temple had gone into disrepair. So this is number three, if you're taking notes. Number three is he rebuilds the temple. He 
He rebuilds the temple. Now, there are many moments in the history of the Israelites where the temple needs rebuilding. Most of the time, that's because there was warfare and somebody attacked Jerusalem and they intentionally ransacked the temple and they destroyed things and they burned things. That is not actually the case at this moment in history. The temple needs repairing because no one maintained it. No one took care of it. And I know nowadays there's a lot of talk about the church isn't a building, the church is the people, and that's true. That's technically correct. But the church is God's people gathered in a specific place. And it could be a home. It doesn't have to be a building that you own. It doesn't have to be brick and mortar. I, I understand all of that stuff. But just go with me. Think about this for a moment. The condition of a church building signals either the devotion or the decline of people's hearts in a city. Does that make sense? Do you think if every church building in this city was sold and became parking garages, torn down and became parking garages, that that would be a signal that Boise is devoted to God? Do you think that's a signal in the right direction or a signal in the wrong direction? Obviously, it's a signal in the wrong direction. And this is why the renovations on this building and the two point whatever million dollars that through the generosity of this congregation putting into the building the last two years of renovations is incredibly worthwhile. It's not just so that we can have a nice place to worship God on Sundays. It's for literally generations to come for this to continue to be a beacon of light of the gospel in downtown Boise. Amen? Amen. The last 111 or 112 years, I've lost count at this point, that this, this, this building that God's people have gathered in a place has been used by God for ministry. And this is one of the first, this is one of the things that, that Josiah does. Recognize this, oftentimes when there's a move of God in a new chapter of the history of Israel, there's a building project. Have you noticed that? There are tons of building projects all throughout scripture. And when the temple or the tabernacle is in disrepair, it is not a good sign. It is not a sign of revival, it's a sign of decline. And so what Josiah does is he he renovates uh, renovates the temple. Later on, after the temple would be destroyed, the prophet Haggai says this in Haggai 1.4, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, the house of the Lord, the temple, lies in ruins? This is, after, this is the, after the return from exile when the temple has still not been rebuilt. The prophet Haggai looks at the people. He says, somehow you've managed to renovate your house. I noticed the new carpet in your house. I noticed, the new, you know, I noticed you've got a nice sectional couch, or I've noticed this, right? And then he says, and yet why is God's house in ruins? That's an indicator on the devotion or the decline. The first person who was ever filled with the Holy Spirit, recorded in the scripture in Exodus chapter 35, was Bezalel, and he was the builder of the tabernacle. This matters to God. It matters to God. And what fundraising, what fundraising does is it gives people an opportunity to put their money where their mouth is. Are you just going to say that you're devoted to God, or are you going to demonstrate it? And, and what 
what Josiah does is he actually goes around even into conquered Israel territory. So technically, Assyrian territory, and he collects money for the rebuilding and the refurbishment of the temple. Because what Jesus said is, this, is that a slave cannot serve two masters. You wanna know the second master that usually rivals our devotion to God? It's the second master that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter six, is money. You can't serve both God and money. And so giving offerings to God, giving of our finances to God is one of the ways that actually where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And it actually moves our hearts, to, when we have generous hearts towards ministry, it moves our hearts towards devotion to God. This is powerful. It's not just about needs and budgets and projects. This is actually a very significant element of sowing seeds of revival, is giving God's people the opportunity to invest financially in the kingdom of heaven on earth. In verse 34, 14, something amazing happens while they're renovating the temple. While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, so they gathered all these, these funds together, Hilkiah, the priest, this is the high priest, found the book of what? Of the law of the Lord given through Moses. The high priest had lost the Bible. <laughs> this showcases the spiritual condition of the nation. When, you, when the high priest and the priest before him and the priest before him and the, who knows how long it's been lost hasn't read from the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, for so long, it's not just gathering dust, it's missing. The seed of revival number four, ready? Read the law. Read the law of the Lord. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. What is your plan for reading the Bible in 2023? I mean, for us, it's never been easier, right? There's like only one copy at this point in time of the Torah. They have it there in the temple. You better not lose it. For us, the Bibles are everywhere. You can get them for free. I'll give you one. There's apps that are free. It's never been easier, and yet, how distracted we are as a church. You remember Psalm 1, blessed is the person who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. Do you wanna prosper? Do you wanna see God bless your life? Do you wanna see God move in our time? Meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. Be in God's word. I wanna recommend an app for you. If you don't have this app, it's the YouVersion Bible app. It's Honestly, just like the, it's the most popular, but it's like the best Bible app out there. They have tons of reading plans. And one of the new features they added in the last few months is you can follow uh, Hill City Church. You can set Hill City Church as your church uh, at, on the YouVersion Bible app. In fact, if you have YouVersion and you wanna do that right now, you can literally, that's a QR code to Hill City Church's profile. So you can click there, just one button, you set as our church. We have the ability now, it's really cool, and there's new features coming out all the time, to recommend a reading plan. So we had an Advent reading plan during our last series. There's an Exiles reading plan. So if you wanted to, as a life group, you want to be like, hey, are you on the new recommended reading plan from our church? We can actually do posts, and you can get a notification. Did anyone get the Christmas Eve service time notification? I sent, one, I sent one out a week before Christmas Eve, and you actually, oh, like the Bible, like we can communicate to you through the Bible. It's pretty cool, okay? 
so you can hop on there, and I would just, I would just ask you that question. What's your plan? I mean, you've heard the old cliche, right? Failure to plan means planning to fail, that whole thing. But the reality is, if you don't have a plan for reading the Bible, it's just not gonna happen. You're gonna get to June of this year, and you're gonna, you're gonna look, you're like, wow, I didn't re- really even start. I'm not in the Word. We've, if we wanna see God do a work of renewal in your life, you have to let God's Word into your heart. You've gotta meditate on it. And the, well, something really powerful happens. Josiah has been following God for about 10 years at this point in time, okay? He's been following God for about 10 years, and he's purged idols, right? He's refurbished, he's remodeled the temple, and then he finds the book of the law, and he realizes just how far he has to go until he's actually living a life that is pleasing to God. 10 years, and for you, you might have been going to church for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and there's still things in your life that you recognize that they're still far from God. So this is number five. What happens next is Josiah must repent of sin. 10 years into his faith journey, he still needs to repent of sin. Repentance is not only something that happens at the beginning, it's something we must always be willing to do when our hearts are far from God. And Josiah begins to hear the word of the Lord from the law, and he goes on his knees, and he weeps, and he tears his clothes, and he genuinely wants, this is how genuine his heart is. He just wants to please God. He just wants to follow God. He wants to follow him with everything. I think about us in our lives. Maybe you feel like, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. I've been a Christian for a long time. This is one, here's a Bible verse that'll convict you right here, okay? Once again, from James 4, 17. James, the brother of Jesus, says this. So whoever knows the right thing to do fails to do it. For him, it is sin. Do you realize sin is not just doing the, the bad things, right? you know, all the kind of typical, don't, don't do this, don't, do, don't lie, cheat, steal, don't, don't do all that stuff, right? And you might feel like you've lived a pretty good life avoiding bad things, but God actually calls you to good works. He calls you to follow him with everything. He calls you to make his name known in this world. He calls you to do good works so people would glorify your Father in heaven. That's, that's where we're gonna start to see revival, when the church is doing the good things that God is calling us to do. And so even in your life, not just the sins of commission, the things you do that are wrong, but the sins of omission, the things where the Holy Spirit, would, if you, you, honestly, you know, like he's nudging you. He's tapping you on the shoulder, saying you should pray for that person. You should talk to them. You should invite them to church. And until we get serious about sin, we're not going to be seriously repenting of those sins. Tertullian is credited with this line that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And the more that there was persecution, the more that the church grew in the early centuries. I I would take that phrase, and I believe today one of those seeds of revival is actually the tears of the church is the seeds of revival. When God's people are serious about repenting of our own sin and the corporate sin of the church in our city, in our nation, in the world. We're not gonna, we're not gonna see a, a move of God until we are like Josiah, who is, 
He was doing better than every other kid that came before him, basically. Tearing down idols, he fundraised, he did all this stuff. And even 10 years after his reforms, he still examines his own life in comparison with the word of God. And he tears his clothes and he repents in tears and in humility. And because of this, they actually go and they inquire of a prophetess, and this is her word, to the priest and to Josiah in 2 uh, Chronicles 34, 27. This is how God responds to Josiah. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, and you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and wept before me, that actually pleased God. It, ple it wasn't just a display. It wasn't just a show. It wasn't pretense. It pleased God how, how Josiah was, was demonstrating his humility and his repentance. Listen to this. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. I'm listening to your prayers. I'm hearing you. And, and in this prophecy, you can read more about it later on this week, God still says, judgment's coming for the people but not during the time of Josiah, not during your reign, not during your 31 years. The reality is, I'm here to tell you, if you've never responded to the good news of the gospel, the gospel is that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for us in our place on the cross and he rose from the grave three days later and because of the work that Jesus did on your behalf, you can be forgiven of your sins. You can be a new you in the new year, right? You can walk in the newness of life. You can be a new creation, but you have to, like Josiah, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Would this be the year that you pray a prayer that is as pleasing to God, that God listens to, like God was listening to Josiah? God, would you forgive my sin and lead my life? You can pray that prayer today in faith and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you've never been baptized, I would challenge you that maybe 2023 is the year that you get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you dedicate your life to Christ by going under the water and being raised back up to walk in the newness of life. Josiah repents, and we must be ready and willing to repent as often as the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. 2 Chronicles 34, 31. Josiah gathers together the elders of Jerusalem, the elders of Judah, and people from all around the city, and this is what it says. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul. Can you say that word, all? And to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. See, following Jesus is not just about turning away from bad things. It's actually about walking in the good things. So this is number six. Walk with God. Walk with God. It's about saying yes to what God is calling you to do. And, and if, you're, if you're new to faith and maybe you've humbled yourself, you've received God's mercy, I just wanna tell you, God has a beautiful plan and a purpose for your life. Keep walking with him. Jesus says this in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
It's a measurement of how much we love God, how dedicated we are to God. Are we in his word? Do we know what God's word is? Do we know the teachings of Jesus? And are we following them? Are we doing them? Are we obeying God? Jesus said that this is, how, this is the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And that's what King Josiah does. He gathers the people together and he says, are we gonna do this? Are we, gonna, are we just gonna talk about it or are we actually gonna do it? Are we gonna renew our faith? Are we gonna renew the covenant by obeying and, and walking in the statutes and the commandments of God? And what I love about King Josiah, this, this is one of those small details about the text that you, you probably would miss if you were just reading this quickly, is that Josiah involves in his reforms the fallen northern kingdom that has been lost. Lost ground, lost territory to the Assyrians. And he's going up there and he's walking into these pagan places of worship. And he's like, excuse me, I've got this sledgehammer and he breaks it down. And then when it comes time to fundraise for the temple, he doesn't just say, hey, the temple's in Jerusalem, it's on us, just the Jerusalem people. He goes up north. Do you guys have any extra cash? We're doing this building, we're doing this renovation, right? Technically, he's in Assyrian territory. And then here where he renews the covenant. Guess who's there? Not just the people of Jerusalem, but it's the people from Judea and the remnant of Israel. If you follow Jesus long enough, he will lead you to the lost. This is where we begin to see what a revival could look like, where the kingdom of God regains lost territory. Do you want to see that? Do you wanna see God's kingdom of light gain ground against the kingdom of darkness in this world? This is the seeds of revival beginning to take place where people who've already, who've, who've already been lost territory are beginning to be found once again. No one is too far gone for King Josiah, and I want you to hear this, no one is too far gone for God. And if you follow Jesus, this is, I believe this is maybe one of the places God is leading our church to walk with him. If you walk with Jesus long enough, he will lead you to the lost, to share God's grace and mercy, to share the gospel, to be an incarnational presence in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and to actually shine God's light to others so that they glorify our Father who is in heaven. One of the last reforms that King Josiah does in Chapter 35 of 2 Chronicles, verse 17, as he restores the Passover. Verse 17 says this, and the people of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time and the feast of unleavened bread seven days. No Passover like it, get this, had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. And none of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah. And the priests and the Levites and all Judah and what? And Israel, the northern people, they're down there, they're celebrating the Passover, who are present, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The Passover is one of the most monumental feasts in the Jewish faith. It commemorates God's original deliverance, God's salvation of the nation from slavery in Egypt, right? Where God saved them and he made the covenant with them at Mount Sinai, it's foundational. It's like one of the most important feasts. And the people, because they hadn't been reading the law, they hadn't really been keeping the Passover very well. 
And what Josiah does is he takes out of his own money, he takes animals and he distributes them. He's like, if anyone doesn't have an animal to bring as a sacrifice, it's on me. And he distributes them and he gets singers and they have music, who are, they're worshiping God, and he gets priests, and he gets everyone back to a newly refurbished temple, right? This is a celebration, and he gets everyone back, and it says there was never a king in Israel who had ever celebrated the Passover as good as Josiah. That's a legacy. Here's what Josiah was doing. He was worshiping God and keeping the Passover. Here's the point. Number seven, okay, do we hit all seven? I hope so. Worship like no one else. Worship like no one else. Oftentimes when we picture a revival, we we talked about that earlier, we think about these large worship gatherings, we think about people singing and praying and in tears and people coming to Christ left and right and all of that sort of thing. And I wanna say that you wanna get there, you wanna get to number seven, we've gotta sow those seeds, true repentance, true righteousness, pleasing God with our lives, reading his law, seeking after God, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But if we do that long enough, we'll begin to worship like no one else. We'll begin to have hearts that are just crying out for God in praise and worship. So often our worship is dependent on how we feel, our circumstances, if life is going good or if life is going bad. But the reality is we don't worship because of how we feel, we worship because of who God is. And God is unchanging, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is just as worthy of our worship today as he was when Josiah kept the Passover all of those years ago. Josiah had a phenomenal reign as the king of Judah, 31 strong years of reforms, of renewal, and ultimately, he got to see with his eyes the first fruits, the glimpses, of revival, but sadly, King Josiah died a tragic death, a mistake, foolish decision he made in warfare. He's dead by the end of chapter 35, and Jerusalem is burning by the end of chapter 36. So for as much revival as he led in those three decades, it would only be another two decades before Judah would be completely lost to Babylon. This is the importance of discipling the next generation I don't just wanna see a moment of revival. I don't just wanna see a few great Christmas Eve services, a few great worship gatherings where we really felt God's presence, we came together, we felt good about ourselves for a moment or even for 31 years. Will our children's children know the one true God and worship him, maybe even in this very place? Will we continue to be devoted? That's a vision worth giving your whole life towards, amen? That's true revival. And even if we only see the first fruits, would we believe that God can do more, far more abundantly than we can ask or imagine, not only in our lifetime, but long after we're gone? Would the seeds that we sow today be the seeds of renewal and revival for generations to come? The beauty of Josiah's legacy is that it was teenagers, people who were children or maybe not even born yet under King Josiah's revival that would actually be the faithful remnant to thrive in exile. And that's what we're gonna learn in this series, how you and I can thrive in a land that is hostile towards God, how we can thrive 
in exile. Let's stand and worship God like no one else. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.